eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome into the Diamond Vols podcast on govols247.com. I am Ben McKee, joined by the one and only Wes Rucker. Plenty to discuss on this edition of the podcast because since we last spoke, Tennessee went down to Baton Rouge down on the bayou and uh, held its own, I, I, I guess you could say. Didn't it go exactly the way Tennessee wanted it to? Did lose the series, and uh, Tennessee is competing to win series, not lose series, uh, but did escape with a win on Saturday in game three, which is obviously better than being swept. Uh, and then they have a big weekend this weekend as well against number three Florida, who, for my money, and we'll get into this, is as good as LSU and right there neck and neck with LSU. Um, pitching may not be the same when you look at it from a production and statistical standpoint to this point, but the, this Florida pitching staff, the, the three starters have as much uh, potential as those LSU starters. And, and we'll get into all that, but my point is that it's, it's another big weekend of baseball in the SEC for Tennessee, and we have a lot to preview. So first, Wes, how are you, my friend? Doing all right. Uh, just to tell everyone a heads up, the audio quality on this one, at least from my end, may not be what it normally is. Uh, we've sort of had the week from hell here. The uh, the my laptop is sort of getting looked at right now, uh, so I'm I'm talking from my iPad right now, and uh, just like my uh, my dog's back legs, my laptop is not working uh, right now. So we are Gus is sitting at my feet here, uh, dragging his hindquarters around. So hopefully he doesn't make a racket, and hopefully it sounds all right. And uh, we can go on, but yeah, it's um, it's a it's a big big week for for Tennessee baseball, and we, we'll talk about last weekend, I'm sure. But I I didn't think I thought there was more to be okay with than not be okay with, to be honest with you. Um, but anytime you lose a series and you you have the goals Tennessee has, it's frustrating. Yes, look, Tennessee has reached a point now to where, like I said a moment ago, they're they're looking to win these series. Uh, in in year one, year two, maybe year three. Winning one at LSU is okay, uh, and 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 you take kind of I, I guess it's a participation trophy of sorts, and, and I hate to to kind of frame it that way because I am completely anti anticipation trophy. No, Iowa should not be going to the White House with LSU because they played in a national championship game, uh, but just the the program is in a different state. Obviously, you've been to Omaha and you've won the SEC regular season championship. You won the SEC tournament. You're, you're no longer building a program when when you were unestablished, especially as unestablished as Tennessee was when Tony Vitello took over going down to LSU and winning one. 
down there on the road, that that would be an accomplishment. But it is a failure for Tennessee to not win those series. And they, they have the talent and they've been recruiting and, and they're established enough to, to where the expectations have changed and that's okay. And Tony Vitello and all those players and all those assistant coaches would be the first to tell you that, that they're, they're not in this to, to steal a game on the road in the sec. They're talented enough to, to go beat anybody and everybody in this league. But aside from that, it, it does feel like a, a small victory, I guess is a better way to phrase it than, participation trophy ish because they, they are in the midst of a gauntlet like we talked about last week you you've got number three Florida coming in this week you've you've got a top five trip to Arkansas next week then you welcome top five Vanderbilt the following week like finding a way to go kind of 500 is is a small victory in my book and, and as I said last week on the podcast Wes it, it's about getting better each week as you build to the postseason and just generally speaking, they have done that, in my opinion. The the mistakes that they make, they are maddening as H-E double hockey sticks. They are ridiculous mistakes to, to make, and, and they are very frustrating. But aside from that, to me, it was obvious that Tennessee belonged on the same field as LSU. And A, that is a really great thing when you look at this team's potential long-term, because I, I said it earlier, I said it all last week. I think LSU is the best team in the country. I do. And for Tennessee to go on the road and look like they belong on the same field as LSU, I, I think that speaks to to the improvements that they've made here the last couple of weeks and, and their long-term potential. And, and the reason it's being phrased like that, because again, expectations have changed and that kind of shouldn't be the topic of the conversation. But two weeks ago, it did not feel like Tennessee belonged on the same field as LSU with how they performed at Missouri and questioning the effort and, and things of that nature. So for them to 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 do a, a 180 and sweep A&M and, and go down and, and really compete for every single inning at LSU and, and you take out a bottom of the eighth in, in game one and uh, another inning in game two. And I mean, Tennessee easily could have, have, have swept LSU. And I know that's easy to say, but again, general thought is Tennessee definitely belongs on the on the same field as LSU and you and you couldn't say that two weeks ago yeah I I think that I hinted at this earlier but there was more to like or be okay with than to not be okay with in that series I do think anytime you lose a series it's a it's a downer anytime that you are a team that has Tennessee's talent and Tennessee's goals and aspirations and, and and all those things any lost series is, is not a good thing, but if you're only going to win one, you'd rather win the last one because that gives you some momentum moving forward. And sometimes in SEC play, the gauntlet of this league means that occasionally over the course of 10 weekends, you're usually going to take it on the chin a few times. And when you do, you have just got to be able to get out of a weekend with something. And you have those moments and we've all seen them where you go into what's traditionally Sunday, but it was Saturday last week. And you just have to leave a series with something you have. You don't want to be swept. You don't want to take that. zero and three, you, you've got to get something out of, of, of the situation. And after Tennessee sort of gave away game one, and then in game two, just didn't do quite enough to, to win it, to come back and win game three, that's some intestinal fortitude, some testicular fortitude. Uh, that that that's a big thing, and, and I think that shouldn't be 
ignored. Now the, the, the next step is, you know, get this, get your starting pitchers performing the way they're capable of performing. Uh, they don't have to be putting up the numbers they did last year, but they need to be putting up better numbers than they are right now. They need to be avoiding big innings. They need to be doing some of those things. However, their defense has got to help them get there because some of those numbers from last week were a little bit skewed because of some mistakes that the defense either on plays they should have made or could have made and didn't make. Um, they got to clean that stuff up. They have got to clean up the base running. I'm, I'm just starting to doubt whether that will ever happen with this bunch because it's just so infuriating to watch and it just doesn't change. But um, I do think being on that field, being competitive in, in record crowds down there in Baton Rouge, a big, tough, nasty environment against a team that you have owned for the past few years and a team that in addition to being the best team in the country really has it out for you. Fans really have it out for you. Uh, I think Tennessee went down there and represented its brand pretty well. If I'm being honest, I, I just think you don't want to say, good job, good effort, pat them on the back, have them be also Rand's invited to the White House. You don't want any of that stuff. You don't, you don't, you don't want to be in that situation if you're Tennessee. But it's not nothing to come away from that weekend with something. Because if you take that 0-3, the narrative to me, Ben, is completely different. We're talking about a team that just maybe can't win on the road, which is a bad thing because you won't get to play every single game in Knoxville. They, they had to go on the road and play better. They did that. They got something on the road to show for it. I think that was a big thing. And now I think if you want to look at the situation positively, you could say, you know, Tennessee's in a pretty decent position right now, knowing that some things absolutely can be better. You know the starting pitching can be better. You know the defense can be better. And you would like to think that basic – baseball 101 base running things can be corrected. And so this team has the upside that some of us thought it was going to have. Now it's just a matter of what do you do to get there? Cause you're not going to go flip the switch and become a world beater right now. What you can do is build toward it. Like you were saying. And, and I think we're seeing now this team has some of the ability to go do that stuff. Yeah. And, and again, like I said, the, the mistakes are, are maddening. I, 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 and Tony Vitello has been preaching positivity this week in, in his interviews and uh, meeting with the media in a press conference style, which he should, because the, the feelings, although you're coming off of a series loss, they should be positive because uh, again, it was very, very, very obvious that Tennessee belongs on the same field as LSU. And, and look, Paul Skeens lived up to the hype, but Tennessee had a chance. My to- God, he is good. My yes. God, he is good. That velocity for that long, that spin for that long, goodness gracious, Ben, he is phenomenal. Yes, but – and look, he, he was awesome. But even in that game, and Dolander didn't have his best stuff, but he battled and he found a way to, to throw up zeros. But even with Skeens doing what you're doing, I mean, that that's game one. And and Tennessee's neck and neck with with LSU in the in the top of the eighth inning after uh, I, I guess it was Christian Moore who had that RBI single uh, Maui had led off with a single uh, and, and then advanced on those back to back wild pitches and then in the top of the eighth in game one of the most anticipated series in college baseball this season Christian Moore singles to, to center field to score him and tie the game like th- those are some pretty big cojones if I if I do say so. 
myself, but the he's first clutch, trade he, man. he is clutch. He, he is he's been Tennessee, he's been Tennessee's best overall player uh, so far uh, to this point in the season. Uh, but the frustrating aspect of it is like, okay, yeah, Paul Skeens, Chase Dolander, it's 2-2 in the eighth. Tennessee is in this, in Baton Rouge, and then in the bottom of the eighth. The tie did not last long uh, because of back-to-back errors. And then a hit hit by pitch, it loaded the bases, uh, all with two outs for, for Jordan Thompson, uh, who smoked that bases-clearing double into the gap. And uh, a little bit of unfortunateness if you want to call it that there in that inning uh, Seth Halverson was on the mound he gets two quick outs and then just kind of takes his eye off the ball when when covering first and and then drops the ball and then the more unfortunate situation was when Christian Moore then gets a ground ball kind of a slow chopper to him and he tries to tag the base runner which he just should have gone the first and and not worry about yeah. the base runner. But I also don't think it was the most egregious thing ever for him to try to tag the runner out because the runner was in his general vicinity. Like I, I yes, he should have gone the first. Sim, simple as that. But it wasn't just absolutely egregious in in my opinion. Just more kind of tough luck. If if he tags the runner out, nobody's saying anything about his decision on that play. And then you have runners on first and second. And this is all with two outs. And, and then Halverson plunks Josh Pearson to, to load the bases. And uh, the baseball gods frown upon that in, yeah. in the sport of baseball. So everybody who knows baseball knew what what Jordan Thompson w- was about to do. And he makes it five to two. And it just kind of was what it was uh, at that point. And then in game two, you know, Chase Burns didn't have his best stuff either. And we'll we'll talk to the pitchers. Uh, but just to, to highlight, like Tennessee had these these chances. I mean, even in that that game two, they would rally. I mean, LSU was was kind of throwing punches, and it was clear that the 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 starting pitching for Tennessee didn't have its best stuff. But in game two, Zane Denton hits a two run home run uh, to to give Tennessee a lead. And, and this was after Tennessee kind of jumped on LSU out of the gates. Maui leads off the game with a home run, and then uh, LSU did respond with some runs of its own, and then Tennessee swung right back uh and then it just kind of went downhill uh from there the bats kind of went quiet you, you did have a couple of uh mistakes there in the field from from Tennessee as as well uh, but you know the base running the fielding is one thing I, I kind of feel like that will correct itself uh the the most frustrating fielding error for me was the the pop-up in the infield when well, Zane, that starts off as Zane Denton's ball, right? I it still think it was his ball. That's what it, I said. It, it still is. It starts off as the pitcher's, not literally his ball to catch, but it lands on the the pitcher's mound. But pitchers are taught to kind of get out of the way and let your infielders go catch that ball. And the win was a little weird. It starts off as Zane Denton's ball, but I think Christian Moore and Maui Ahuna need to take charge in that situation because I didn't feel like it was so much in Zane Denton's territory to where it was 1000% without a doubt his baseball. And, and then they should be also be able to see kind of the ball kind of blowing back towards them. Like in that situation, especially your shortstop, but also your second baseman, when your second baseman is a leader within the infield and you've seen him lately go steal balls that probably aren't his from Maui, like your middle infielder's got to take charge there. 
simple as that. And even on top of that, like you said, Zane Denton can also go catch that ball as, as well. That was the most frustrating mistake to me. Um, Tony has said that the base running, he he kind of feels like it's getting better. He referenced the one of, I guess there were two pickoffs this weekend, and I believe he was referencing the Jared Dickey one. He said that Jared just just simply slipped. And if if that's the case, then yes, that is more bad luck than just that's it happens base running that that happens. Uh, and, and if that's so, then I only remember the the other pickoff as kind of being the only other base running mistake. So I guess it, it is getting better in a sense, but it, it's more so getting better because it was just such in a bad place that <laughs> it's hard. The bar not. was low enough to walk over. Yeah. Correct. The bar was low enough to walk but they're getting better and, and tony talked about that with the media on on wednesday like the vibe around the locker room the clubhouse is is that w- without a doubt their best baseball is in front of them and again the mistakes continue to be really really frustrating but you can see this baseball team getting better and it's doing so against the best competition in the country yeah it is it has been and, and i think there's I still think of that ball as Zane Denton's ball because I just thought the angle from which he was tracking it, that to me, it definitely started out as his his ball. And if it keeps going over, I still think that instead of the shortstop coming directly in the third baseman coming in at a little bit of an angle to to, to, to get the ball path, I just like that as the third baseman's ball. Uh, I completely agree that, that when in doubt, the middle infield has to take over. Um, just like in when in doubt in the outfield, right? The center fielder takes over. But to me, it, it, there were three or four guys who could have caught that ball and the lack of communication. Um, that's something that if it happens on like the first week of the season, I'm like, mm, okay, yeah, it happens. And if it happens like once or so randomly during the course of the year, that that's something. But there's two or three times now where something like this has happened. And I don't know if it's a deal of of – guys just not being totally comfortable or if there's some sort of communication issue they're having, but there have been other cases where guys have called for balls and they shouldn't have been the ones calling for them. And guys who have probably had a better angle on the ball, just let them get called off. Like they just said, okay, I'm not going to go get that because you called it. You got to stay in the area, especially on a windy day. You got to stay in the ballpark because if that thing moves around, somebody has got to get to it. So they, they've got to work on that stuff. And, and, and it's disappointing that that's happening um, because at this level, that absolutely can cost you a game. And that's something that I, I think this team is learning and probably needs to have learned by now is that it's not last season where you just know you're going to score about a billion runs a game. So the margin for error is pretty large. These little things now are the difference between wins and losses. They, they absolutely are. And they've just got to tighten the screws down on that kind of stuff. Um, Because if you lose a game, you want to lose a game because the other team made a play. You don't want to lose a game because of a mistake you made. That's two completely different ways to lose a game. And it's like you want to do everything you can do. Because sometimes you're going to, you know, miss a pitch barely, but it's over the zone and the guy hits it 470 feet. Or sometimes you're going to throw a good pitch, a really good pitch, and the guy still just hits it out of the yard. You know, that sometimes the guy makes a diving catch. Like uh, Christian Moore had a – or Christian Scott hit a couple of lasers over the weekend that got caught, and it's like 
you're okay losing that way because you 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 did okay, you did well, it just didn't go your way. But when it's little things like little defensive mishaps or little base running mishaps, then I even hate to say the word little because they're not little. Because when you're in a situation like Tennessee is now where you're good, but your other people are just as good as you, if not a little bit better. So what you have to do is do those little things well. And I think Tony's positivity is something I understand because I think he understands that, that it's important for this team to get kicked in the teeth a couple of times. Now you don't want that to happen throughout the season. Right. But I don't think he's too upset. I know we all know how he is after losses, right? We see Tony after losses. He is every bit as irritable as you would imagine he is after losses. But even in those moments, Ben, I think he still believes that those things will help this team come postseason. Now, what you hope is that you learn these lessons and you still play well enough where you're still hosting, you know, in the postseason as opposed to going somewhere because you want that that big, nasty orange home field advantage of playing in Lindsey Nelson in those situations. But I think he thinks this team is going to learn some things the hard way and that it will be better as a result of that. Because the way they played last season, anybody who was on that team, it warps your per- percep- your, your perspective or your, your, your perception of reality. And right now, I just think there's some little things that, that they are not little anymore. And these guys are going to have to get that fixed. And I think they have the, the ability to do that. It's just a matter of who kind of steps up and leads the way to do that. Who, who becomes the guy or the group of guys on this team to do that because it's, it's not going to start with the coaches. It's got to start in the locker room. Yeah. Because they're, they're, they're mistakes that have nothing to do with, with coaching. Not all of them, not all of them, obviously, but a good chunk of them are mistakes um, in in which they're they're simply on the players now. Yeah. Pop-ups, pop-ups like that. That's middle school stuff. Like you got to go catch those balls. The base running stuff, I do think their philosophy of being super, super aggressive uh, does does lead to mistakes. So I, I do think that's an area where you can question the coaching. But, you know, Dylan Dryling getting picked off before Hunter Ensley hits a home run that if you don't get picked off, that that would have tied the game instead of cutting the LSU lead to three to two. I mean, th- those are things that just cannot cannot happen and maybe that was the the pickoff that tony was referencing the the player slipped um i i believe he was referencing the jared dickey pickoff because you could see on tv that like jared was kind of like motioning that he he slipped and, and kind of shrug it off as like that was just bad luck um but if the insley one or the 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 dryling pickoff was not where the the runner slipped like that just cannot happen you kind of created some momentum and and you just never know what's about to happen in baseball and that's the perfect example of that Hunter Inslee who was at the plate then hits a home run hits a two-run home run that would have tied the game if if you don't get picked off and like you said just dropping a pop-up from Christian Moore uh, he he did that 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 inning the third inning of of game two the bottom of the third was quite the inning Jared Dickey and Hunter Inslee make diving catches but then Christian Moore drops a pop-up and Chase Burns hits a batter to load the bases. I mean, it's, it's just the inconsistencies 
have been very frustrating. But I also do think it's it's kind of on us as well as observers, those who cover the team and those who are fans of the team and, and follow the team. There are going to be inconsistencies up until this point. And we've talked about that a, a couple of different times because there are so many guys in new roles, there were going to be inconsistencies. They weren't going to be the team that they were last year. So we needed to to kind of adjust our expectations. And, and I feel like most people people have, but that was an example of of the inconsistencies really biting Tennessee. Honestly, the 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 bigger concern to me was the the pitching. And how how can you not think that that will get sorted out at some point? They're too talented to continue to not live up to their potential. And they literally have the best pitching coach in America. Like at some point, the 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 starting pitching issues are going to get ironed out. But to, to just highlight why why I believe that is the bigger issue is because like in game two, Maui leads off the game. You you lose game one in very frustrating fashion because of what happened in the bottom of the eighth inning when you booted the, the baseball around competitive you're in it and then you just give the game away that that's a tough loss to to swallow and Tennessee responds greatly when Maui leads off the game with a home run you've got Chase Burns on the mound one nothing early lead you've responded well and then he gives up three in the bottom of the first Trey Morgan one out double Tommy White two out double to tie the game K Beloso double to make it two to one and then that's when none of the Tennessee infielders took charge and, and caught a fly ball like that can't happen your pitching has to respond and if if the the lineup kind of throws a haymaker your pitcher whether it be the next top half or the next bottom half has to turn around and throw up a zero chase burns did not do that and then he didn't get help from any of of the defense and and we'll talk about the positive step that the outfield took in in my opinion defensively yeah. the the outfield was awesome defensively all weekend jared yeah, dickey kyle booker hunter insley christian scott i mean they were absolutely phenomenal but then the defense, which has more proven players, or the infield defense, which has more proven players, Zane Denton has proven to be a good defender at Alabama. Maui Ahuna is known for his his glove. Christian Moore is a better defender than I think people realize. And Blake Burke has put a ton in, in defensively as well. That infield, who has experience, can't nobody takes charge and, and drops a pop-up, not helping the pitcher who needs help because he's struggling on the mound like that that can't happen but I I have to believe that as as frustrating as the starting pitching has has kind of been because the expectations is that is that they're going to throw up a zero every single inning and that's not going to happen right they're, they're going to get touched up here and there but they should not be getting touched up as much as they should and I, I have to believe that it is frustrating right now, but at some point, because of their talent level and because of who their pitching coach is, at some point, that's all going to work itself out. Yeah, I'll just say one quick thing before I go into the pitchers. I think I saw this with Dickey on the bases over the weekend. I don't know this for sure, but my hunch was that the transition from the turf fields they're used to to dirt I think that had them coming up short on a couple of slides. I think Dickey on a couple of those slides, um, I think he was coming up a little bit short, almost like he was used to sliding on the turf. I don't know that for sure. And if I asked him that, he might be like, no, that's not, that's not it at all. It just looked to me like the surface was a little bit 
slower there in the dirt than it would be on that turf. And I think that may have had him a little bit of like, what was it? Willie, Willie Mays Hayes in major league when he comes up a little bit short on the slide. I think, I wonder if that's happening a couple of times. Um, Cause you know, on that turf, you got to start your slide so much earlier and it's just so much different. Um, but I think with the pitching, what, what worries me, Ben, is, is not that it, it's a basic thing. They're getting barreled up too much. Um, that that's what is a concern to me because their stuff, um, even though we're in an era where everybody has explosive stuff, like, like last night I was listening to the Cubs Reds game and, and they were talking about one of the Cubs pitchers and they said, you know, he's not a high velocity guy. Fastball sits around 95. And I'm like, how much different is the game these days where a guy who sits at like 95 on his fastball is not a hard thrower anymore. Not considered a high, high velo guy. Um, but I do think, that what concerns me is the fact that too many guys on that staff, the starters, they're getting barreled up. And and it's one thing if you have a couple of dinks go there or that way or whatever, the wind's blowing out, weird things happen, but, but the ball is getting tagged off of them too often. And and I don't know if that is just, they've been scouted really well. I don't know if it's um, I, I don't know if it's the fact that they're, they have some tendencies that have been spotted in some ways, I don't know if it's as simple as the fact that they're known as strike throwers and they're guys who pound the zone. And then when you're aggressive like that, you're going to get tagged now and then, but, but whatever it is, there's just, it seems like too many sweet spots of the bat are getting hit. And and, and I don't know. That's what concerns me because that that's a hard thing to all of a sudden just shake. Right. Like the problem with you think about, you know, we've talked about, beam the past like the past what 18 months or so as a guy who just you know occasionally he's got to be more of a pitch to contact guy because he doesn't get the number of strikeouts that like Burns and 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 Dolander get and um, but now like Burns and Dolander are also hitting some fat parts of the bat and and that concerns me um, because that can be a hard thing to just all of a sudden go away Uh, so so they're gonna have to uh, I wouldn't say panic Uh, that's not the right word at all but I, I I would I would have a little bit of concern about that if I were them, because I I think something with the approach, maybe changing up, being a little more unpredictable, you know, having a couple more kind of chase pitches that they throw. Um, I don't know what it is, Ben, because I'm not smart enough to know that. I just know what I'm seeing when I watch the games and the the ball's hitting the barrel too many times. And and they're going to have to, they're going to have to make an adjustment there because if that keeps happening, that's going to put a lot of pressure on this offense to score runs, I think. Yep, there's no doubt about that. And in, in, in the SEC, you will get tore to pieces if uh, if you continue to pound the zone the the way that they the way that they are. And and look, there's nothing wrong with pounding the zone, but there's ways to do it. You you can't groove in a 98 mile an hour fastball on an 0-2 count right down the middle. You you, you got to hit the corners and the top of the which box, Burns did like three times. It, it's not he's been doing that a lot this year, even going back to to non-conference games against the, 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 the bad schools. I mean, it's, I, I think his issue is a lack of secondary pitch. I think that slider is too inconsistent for him at times and teams are just sitting fastball because they're not worried about the slider. And I, I think Dolander's just going through it mentally in the sense of trying to adjust to, to being, Chase freaking Dolander. I, and I, I think he'll be fine. It's just sooner rather than later would, would be ideal for Tennessee's sake. And and Drew, 
Drew Beam, I, I think he's also trying to uh, to to figure out some some swing and miss stuff um, because he, he he throws a lot of strikes, but uh, I, I think people are aware that Frank Anderson wants his pitchers to throw strikes, and and they're just just they're sitting on those fastballs and Burns and Beam. I, I don't I don't know if their secondary pitches are to a point to where it consistently gets guys out. I I think they are good secondary pitches, but not to where hitters are frequently worried about it in the back of their mind, them flipping over a slider or a changeup or, or whatever. Uh, whereas Dolander, he has all the pitches. I, yeah. I think you you can just see Chase out there on Chase Dolander out there on the mound and his mind just kind of turning. You you can you can just see the wheels inside his head turning and and at some point, I'm sure it'll click for him and, and he'll hit his groove. Uh, and, and, you know, Beams also had self-inflicted wounds with some errors as well. I mean, you go back and look at his last two starts yep. and or I guess it was the Missouri start and the LSU start. And most of his runs are unearned because of his own errors. Uh, so and, and he's a good athlete. He'll he'll get those figured out. I think that's just more baseball catching up to them more so than anything. But they, they do need to get those guys uh headed more in the direction of pitching towards their potential than the opposite direction because if if Tennessee is going to win anything of significance they need those guys to pitch to to their uh potential and and I know we've hit on more of the the negatives uh to start this podcast there are plenty of positives sure, yeah. to discuss and we will discuss those positives on the other side because we do need to catch a break here on the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247 Com. He's Wes Rucker. I'm Ben McKee. We'll be back in just a moment. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com. I am Ben McKee. He is Wes Rucker. Recapping, putting a blow on Tennessee's series loss to number one LSU in Baton Rouge. They've got another big series coming up this weekend against number three, Florida. And before we begin to discuss that matchup and hit on some positives from the weekend in Baton Rouge, would like to encourage you to go like, rate, and review the podcast wherever you do listen and get your podcast. We would greatly appreciate that. Wes, on the flip side of the pitching staff, the bullpen was absolutely lights out. I mean, Andrew Lindsay, Seth Halverson, Camden Sewell, the, the back end of the bullpen is is really starting to be, to to come into its own. And I, I think it's in as great of a position as it could be uh, because you did not see Zach Joyce this past weekend. 
you've you've yet to see Wyatt Evans, who is still coming back from injury. Uh, and there's some other arms, uh, Turner Swistak and Andrew Binky. Binky's a freshman lefty uh, from Knoxville. Uh, Swistak is a JUCO arm from Pearl River Community College in Mississippi. Those two guys are probably going to redshirt this year because of how many guys are in front of them. But mm-hmm. Wyatt Evans is such a talented arm, and he's a lefty that I, I don't think they're going to shut the door on that. Even if he comes in and pitches the last month, month and a half of the season, he can help the team so much that it would be worth it. So he's, he's still throwing, continuing to work back. He, he threw some bullpens on, on Monday through the hitters, actually, not just the bullpen, but through the hitters uh, on Monday. Uh, so you, you've got your three main guys, but you still have so many other weapons is, is what I'm getting to. A potential Wyatt Evans return at some point. Kirby, uh, you're starting to see more and more trust in uh, Xander. He finally gets out there. Xander Shecrest finally gets out there against SEC competition. Uh, I mentioned Joyce did not really pitch this weekend, and I, I'm sure I'm leaving others out because there's so many arms back there in the bullpen. But I know Halverson kind of had his error. Um, but, man, what, what they were able to do with their stuff against the great lineup in LSU just really gets you excited about long-term potential with that group. Oh, it absolutely does, Ben. And, and I think if I'm you know, if I'm Tennessee with Wyatt Evans, I, I, I go ahead and throw him out there because I think it's a good rule of thumb that a guy who has that size and that kind of stuff and that kind of performance in the Cape Cod you're not going to have him for four years anyway. So I, I don't know why you would redshirt him unless it was purely a medical need to do so. Um, it, it's one of those things that like, if you can, you're not going to have him for four years anyway. So go ahead and use him when you can. Like, even if it was only like the final few weeks of the season, I'd go ahead and use him if he's going to help you win games because you're not going to have him for four years anyway. The other guys we'll see like as good as they might be, they're younger. So let's, they haven't done as much at this level, so let, let, let's see what, what the situation is with them. Uh, but with Evans, I would definitely play him. Um, but that, that's just my opinion. But I, I, I agree with everything you said about the bullpen. I, I think it is very, very good. Uh, I think there's even some other names that we didn't that we didn't mention, you know, some of the Fitzgibbons and other guys who I think are pretty good arms who, who have, they did not need to use in that game. And, and, and when you look at that situation where none of your three starters go as far as you would kind of like them to go in that game, in that series. And you still have a head coach after that series saying, you know, there's a couple more bullpen guys. I kind of would like to have gotten out there. That's not two things that you normally hear at the same time. Like normally if you have all three of your starters in a series who don't go as long as you want them to go, you're normally throwing a couple guys out of the bullpen that you don't want to throw that much because, you know, you didn't plan for it or you don't have that many guys. Uh, this team, despite that, you still had really good bullpen arms that you didn't get a chance to use in the series. That's remarkable. That really is. They've got, and when you get into postseason play and you get into back-to-backs and all these other, like, that's going to be a good thing for Tennessee, right? Like, if you got to, if you're testing the depth of a pitching staff later in the season, Tennessee's probably going to win that bet. That, that, that's, they've got arms for days. They got, they, they have probably, two and a half full weekend rotations worth of SEC caliber starters, I think. And and I really do believe that. I think they've got like seven, eight guys who legitimately could be in an SEC rotation right now. Uh, And and that, that's just a, it speaks to the way they've recruited, developed Frank Anderson, all, all everything those guys have done. 
I mean, you'd rather your starters go, you know, six, seven innings or whatever. Traditionally, if you can, you would like to do that. Um, but this team doesn't necessarily have to have that um, because they can give the ball to the bullpen, even on like the first game of a series. And it doesn't have a trickle down effect where it's going to screw them the rest of the time. Like they've got arms they can throw out there and you can do things like have Halverson, you know, throw three or so innings in the first game, even if it means you're not going to have him for the next two, you've still got guys who can go in there and perform well on the final two games and get out. So they, they are, they are doing a remarkable job. They have, they have recruited and developed a really good bullpen, a really good pitching staff. And, and, and that is absolutely a bright spot for this team. Ben. they look really, really good there that they, they have, uh, you know, almost double digit guys on this staff who you would say, I want to give you the ball in any situation, righty or lefty. And I believe that you can go th- throw a couple innings and not get touched up hard. They got like almost double digit guys, if not double digit guys who can do that. And, and at this level, that is remarkable. Like the Tennessee team this season overall is not obviously as deep as last season's team was overall, but the bullpen, the pitching staff is even deeper than it was last season. Uh, they have got guys after guys after guys. And I shouldn't even say guys, dude after dude after dude. And uh, that that speaks to a lot of things. And it's a, it's a really, really nice thing for the Tennessee team to have. The outfield is also a really big bright spot uh, against LSU and, and seems to to really be coming into its own. You, you do have Griffin Merritt, who's really struggling right now. He's He's got one hit in SEC play, and, and that was the second game at Missouri. That that was his last hit, the, the second game at Missouri. Uh, and by my rough, quick math, I believe he's two for his last 30 uh, and 0 for his last 20 entering this weekend. Uh, so he he's really struggling. I think his bat is is a little long. His swing's a little long, uh, and and he's struggling to catch up to high velocity because of that. And he he's he's talented, and he's not somebody that Tennessee needs to give up on and just <laughs> sit at the end of the bench and, and never go to him again. But they do need to to kind of find a way to get him out of this slump that he's in. But outside of Griffin Merritt, the outfield had a, a really really great weekend. Kyle Booker was phenomenal on Saturday. You saw why Tennessee is so high on him. Three for five at the plate, a double, a run scored, two RBIs. Uh, He makes two diving catches out in left field that really helped Tennessee in a pair of jams get out of the inning. Kyle Booker was tremendous. You know, Christian Scott only hit 182 on the weekend. He was two for 11, but he had three RBIs, and each of his two hits came at it came in big time spots and and he did what he does out in the field uh, defensively. And, and that's why he's in there uh, to, to, to increase the the defense and, and be better on the bases as well. But he still played, he played his game this weekend and played well within his game. Christian Scott did uh, Dylan Dryling, I thought took the best swings of anybody off of Paul Skeens on Thursday night. And he finished the weekend five for 14 hit three fifty seven against LSU Hunter Inslee continues to be a really productive bat there in, in the middle of the lineup, not even at the bottom of the lineup, but at, at the middle and towards the top and, and continues to play uh, great defense out in center field. He was five for 12, uh, 417 is what he hit on the weekend. The only person who hit better than Hunter Inslee was Jared Dickey. Dickey was uh, six for 14. He hit 429, which was best on the team. So your outfield, it, it's starting to kind of come into place. 
And uh, that that's even uh, without Kavar's tears, who continues to be banged up uh, with a hamstring injury. Looks like he's going to be more available this weekend against Florida than he was against LSU. Tony talked multiple times this week in interviews about how he was pretty much going to have to be pinch ran for against LSU, but maybe not necessarily the case this weekend. And he'll still be limited this weekend with that hamstring injury that he suffered against Texas A&M. Um, again, he'll still be limited against Florida this weekend, but Tony expects going to Arkansas next weekend that by that point, another week or so off, not off, but a week or so of of being careful, I guess, uh, will really have him in a great spot uh, going into to Fayetteville, Arkansas. Uh, so he's, he's practically back and, and really close to being back, not going to end up missing a ton of time when it's all said and done. But you, your outfield has a great weekend, offensively, defensively, at the play in Inslee, Scott, um, I'm, I'm forgetting, Booker, uh, and, and that was with Griffin Merritt struggling and, and with Kavar's tears uh, being limited in his role as well. Yeah, I think with Christian Scott, I, I don't know that his batting average is indicative of how well he hit the ball. He, I remember, I think it was game two in the series where he hit an absolute laser there that that really very easily could have been a two-run single, but he hit it right at the left fielder, and that ended the inning. Um, but he, he he squared the ball up and did exactly what you want to do. It just it just didn't find a hole, and that's unfortunate. Um, and, and I think with Kyle Booker, I think my track record on this one is, 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 has been out there. Do kids, you're younger than me, Ben, do kids still use the word Stan? Are you like, you know, is there like a better word of saying that now? Um, uh, I have to think on a better word, but no, they don't really use that word anymore. Okay. Well, when they use that word, I have always been a Kyle Booker Stan. Like, I think he is that, that kid is unbelievably talented he has every tool that a player needs to have to be good in this game not just good but really good in this game his bat speed his hand speed uh his foot speed um the way that he can track the ball in the field the way that he can hit for pop um i just i i think there is a so much potential in kyle booker and and i think he's a guy that if you stick with it's gonna frustrate you along the way but you're gonna get it at the you're going to get it at some point right it, it's like someone compared him in some ways to um someone on my twitter feed once called him like baseball come basically in that he is a guy who at times will take over games and at times you'll be like why is he in the lineup um but i think the older that he gets with more at bats because he still hadn't really gotten that many at bats if you think about it throughout his career um but Tennessee's been in a really competitive situation where you compete for championships. And if you're not producing, you're not playing. And, and he's been and, banged up. Yeah. And, and he has had some injuries. He was injured going into the last season and we all know that. And, and I think it bothered him more than, than they let on at the time. Um, but he is, I think he's, he doesn't, when he just goes out there and plays the game and doesn't think and doesn't get affected by some other things and just plays his pure talent is fantastic. Uh, and I think he's a guy that, that you stick with. I think Ensley's a great story. I've been, you know, throughout the season, I've kind of mentioned his name a few times just because to me, it became pretty simple. Almost everybody that we talk about in that outfield for Tennessee, they're left-handed bats. Almost all of them are. Ensley is, uh, normally you would think of the lefty as kind of the the, the guy who stands out. He, he's the righty who stands out. He's a righty 
And especially if Griffin Merritt's not going to play well right now, or if he's going to, if his bat's going to have a hard time catching up to velocity that you see in the SEC, you can't just throw all lefty bats out there because, you know, Tony likes to stack right, left, right, left. And you saw what happens. Uh, I think it was game two, maybe in that series where he had like three lefties in a row in the lineup. And that cycled up into an inning late where LSU was like, okay, here's our best lefty reliever. And he goes, boom, one, two, three against those guys. So you need right-handed bats in the lineup. You just do. And, and I think Ensley's a guy who is playing well enough right now, defensively and offensively to, I, I wouldn't say that like he's he staked a claim and this is center field's his spot and it's going to be his spot. But right now, I, I think it kind of is his spot. I think he's playing really well right now. I don't know why you would take him out of that spot. Oh, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely his spot. He's his numbers speak for themselves. But even like before, you you could see the results and the numbers. Like even in that weekend series in Arizona, like he was the one who was consistently putting, other than Blake Burke and Christian Moore, like consistently putting the best swings on on hitters together. Yeah, and, and he's. He's got a nice repeatable swing. He kind of gets to the, you know, he gets hits the fat part of the bat a lot with it, which is, you know, it's easy to say that. It's much harder to go actually do that, and and he does that. And, and I think, um, I don't know if he's ever going to be like an absolute star player, but he is playing at a pretty high level right now, and he's a guy who um, is giving Tennessee something that it really needs, both offensively and defensively, and some consistency out there. <clears throat> Excuse my voice it, is not a bad thing. Um, you know, you, you it's not it's not bad to have some sort of matchup things and ride the hot hand things, but also some consistency, especially in those spots in the middle of the field, right? Like shortstop, second base, center field, catcher. You'd like to have consistency there because they're just so centrally involved in the defense, both literally and figuratively, like they are the heart of the defense. And if you have some set pieces there, you can move some of the pieces around them and it doesn't affect things as much as, oh, by the way, here's a new center fielder. Oh, by the way, here's a new shortstop or second baseman. You'd like to be consistent up the middle. And I think that 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 helps a team in many ways. Uh, and I, I, I think right now I, I also see no reason to give up on Griffin Merritt. I think that there will be some matchups that will still be really advantageous for him. I think he's going to hit several more home runs for Tennessee this season. I think he's going to be a productive player. Uh, I, I I just do. I, I think there he will. He's good enough as an athlete, I think, to make some adjustments on his swing. If he stays confident, if he doesn't let these struggles kind of define him and kind of put him in a rut the rest of the year, like if he makes a, just, just a couple little quick adjustments, I think he can still be a really productive player for Tennessee. And I think he will have – I think his time is still going to come. I think he's still going to have moments for this team this season that are going to be big moments and big games. And, and so – um, right now, maybe unless he has a really great week of practice, maybe you still just kind of like, okay, let's pinch hit him against the lefty, you know, let, let's, let's get him in some, let's get him in some right situations to kind of get him going. It's like some midweek starts. This would have been a great week to have a midweek game, even though they couldn't, it would have been a good time to have a midweek game to maybe get Griffin merit some confidence, right? Get him in there, let him start hitting a few at bats. Um, but I think they are right now, they are getting what they need from the outfield right now. And I think that's important. The defense, uh, anytime you have all three guys in the outfield making at least one diving catch in a game, you're doing some good stuff. Um, you're, 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 you're getting production from those guys, and they're putting pretty good swings on the ball. Um, and Dryling's a kid who we could talk about forever, um, how talented he is. Uh, it, it's just a matter of him kind of growing up a little bit. Like, not like, like 
immature, like as a personality, but just immature as a player, like as young players are right. Like understanding that it's not just, you know, physical talents in this game. It's paying attention on the base pass. It's learning what a guy's move is and when he's coming to first and when he's not, it's, it's learning uh, communication in the outfield. Um, There's just little things that I have no doubt are going to come for him at some point. And when they do, my God, look out. This kid is an absolute thoroughbred. I mean, this kid is what you want young baseball players to look like physically. And the numbers, the the kind of exit velocity numbers, the way he hits the ball, squares it up. He hits good pitching. He hits bad pitching. He, he, he does a lot of good things. And I just think as he kind of grows in the game a little bit, uh, he's that, that could be an absolute star. The other two things that we need to mention – LSU series wise before we turn our attention to the gay tours is I thought Jared Dickey looked good behind the plate defensively. Yeah. He, he, he can catch it. I'm not saying he's got or Molina, but he, he, he can hold his own defensively. And, and what I love most about Jared is his, his energy, his, his leadership, uh, his, his positivity consistently, kind of giving those fist pumps and, and those glove shakes to, to the pitcher, kind of instilling confidence in them. Uh, he, he does that extremely well, which is what you want to see from a catcher, obviously. And, and he's terrific at framing pitches. He is. And the you, you talk earlier about getting Booker more and more at bats and driving more and more at bats. As Dickey gets more and more games defensively behind catcher, he, he will continue to get better and better. Uh, and you, you saw a cut down on m- mistakes. Um, just simply catching the ball and blocking balls. Like, he, he was fine back there. He he did not cost Tennessee unless I'm just completely forgetting something, but I don't believe that I, I am. No, he, he, he was good defensively, and I think he'll continue to get better and better uh, back there. And, and, boy, was he good with the bat in, in his hands. He, he was just absolutely terrific. I said it earlier, hit a team high 429 on the weekend. Uh, he, he's just a really, really good baseball player. He is a great – professional hitter which is why he will get an opportunity to play professional baseball for a long long time and I I don't know that there's any position that he's that he's great at in the field but he's really good at a bunch of different positions and and you pair that with a bat that will translate to the next level and and he's going to play baseball for a long long time so Dickey continues to to be tremendous yeah a lefty who can hit lefties too a lefty who can hit lefties and can play multiple spots defensively is going to play this game for a long time. And he looks awkward when he's doing it because he's just one of those guys who looks like, you know, Fulkerson was that way too. You can get lost in how kind of goofy he looks when he's doing stuff and and miss sight of the fact that he's doing it really well. Like he's, he looks awkward when he's out there running. It's always like, does he have a hamstring injury? Like the way he's running, like it just kind of looks interesting. Um, But, but he gets there when he needs to get there and he gets there pretty quickly. And he has a natural ability behind the plate to frame pitches that you really can't coach. Like some guys just naturally have that. And he does. Uh, There's a lot of things he does that are, that are just really, really impressive. And he's going to play this game for a long time, but if he stays healthy. And the infield as a whole hit the ball fairly well. I mean, Zane Denton, he had the lowest average on the team, uh, I, I guess, other than Griffin Merritt, but he hit 167 on the weekend, only had two hits. But those two hits were just absolutely huge. Uh, he hit two two run home runs, and the first one we talked about it earlier uh, gave Tennessee the lead in game two, 
and then his second one was in game three, the finale, when Tennessee jumps out to a 10-0 lead, LSU scores six unanswered to make it a close ball game, and boom, Denton just absolutely destroys the baseball to extend the lead. And from that point on, LSU didn't really put any pressure on Tennessee. Uh, so Denton only hit 167, but those two home runs were as huge as any hit that Tennessee had all weekend long. And, you know, it, it doesn't really feel like Christian Moore or, or Blake Burke did anything because expectations for them are so, so high. But Burke hit 286 on the weekend, had four hits, uh, just didn't really have that one big hit. And I, I think that's somewhat to be expected in the sense of everybody knows who Blake Burke is. He's in the middle of Tennessee's lineup. He he is the the one with the most notoriety around his name. Folks, folks are going to be ready for Blake Burke. And I, I think he's getting pitched differently than he's been pitched his entire life. And and as he continues to adjust to that, he'll continue to get more and more of those big time hits in SEC play. And, you know, Christian Moore kind of felt like a quiet weekend for him, but he hit 273. Uh, four RBIs, had some big-time base knocks, had, had two walks. And, and then Maui Ahuna as well. I think his bat is starting to come along. Uh, he had three hits and a double and, and that home run to lead off game two. The infield, they're, they're, they're slowly starting to come along. And, and more so talking about Denton and Maui because they got off to somewhat slow starts. That infield had a, a, a sneaky good weekend. And, and you look at it at, from kind of big picture and, and the lineup as a whole – I mean, Denton and Scott, Scott hit 182, Denton hit 167. You talked about, you know, Scott looking better at the plate than his average indicates. I just talked about Denton having two of the biggest hits of the weekend. Other than that, everybody hit 270 or better other than Griffin Merritt, and you had Kyle Booker come off the bench and, and look phenomenal. So this offense all of a sudden is start, starting to, to kind of click, and, and we'll see. As the season progresses, like what what will they look like in totality? But I think this offense, starting with AM, is starting to get better from week to week. And you got to keep in mind what they were able to do against who they were facing on the mound. Yeah, I think with Blake Burke, I think there was one at bat where schemes threw him like three or four consecutive breaking balls. I would like to see a statistical breakdown of how many times this season scheme to anybody throws three or four consecutive non-fastballs. I'd like to see how many times that happens during the season. I would bet not many. You could probably count them on one hand, the times he's going to do that this season. But that's the kind of player that Blake Burke is that you know if you put a fastball anywhere anywhere near a, a fat part of the plate, he is going to just obliterate it. And, and if these other guys – can start hitting consistently and, and doing like they have been doing, use that some of that momentum from the tail end of the LSU series, you're going to have to throw Blake Burke better pitches because you're not going to be able to sort of, you know, softly work around him. You know what I mean? Like you're going to have to, you're going to have to throw him better pitches. It's like in that LSU lineup, you, you, there's everybody gets pretty good pitches to hit because there's nobody you can pitch around. Like if you pit, if you pitch around somebody else, guess what? There's somebody probably almost just as good coming up behind him with runners on base, and 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 you can't have that. That that can lead to crooked numbers. So that sort of rising tide lifting all boats. Like if these other guys start hitting the ball consistently well, you'll you'll see that guys like Moore and Burke will have to get better pitches to hit because it's just how it's going to have to be. Um, but I think there's a lot to like about that offense and what it what it could be. The the pop is still there. Um, 
I don't know. They're going to, they're obviously not going to be like a record setting home run team, um, but they are consistently, I think, doing pretty decent damage at the plate in terms of putting good swings on the ball. And, and I think that's something that you would like to think that the law of averages translates over time to where, you know, this game takes away from you sometimes, but it also gives back to you. Like if you keep hitting the ball that hard, uh, you keep hitting the ball pretty consistently, your numbers are going to get where they need to be. And, and I think a lot of those guys um, are doing good things. I think Blake Burke is going to learn once he starts, you know, learning how to hit some of these other pitches a little bit and, and just sort of, or, or, or get the count where it needs to be to where he knows he's pretty sure he's going to get something good to hit. I think that's going to help him out a lot. Um, but I don't think, I don't think Blake Burke needs any uh, hitting advice from any of us. I think that dude and he, he and Christian Moore are both going to be high round draft picks who play this game for a long time. So I think they're fine there. And I think I'm, I'm with you on the offense, Ben. I, I, I think, um, you know, th- that it's still, some guys who could who could perform a little better are showing signs of that. I think people have been way too hard on Matt Hoon. I think that crap and needs to stop. He's a very very damn good baseball player, um, and, and he's gonna he's doing what he he's gonna do what he needs to do. Uh, and I think this offense is in a pretty decent place right now. It is, and I bet a lot of people would be surprised to hear me say that Tennessee has hit the third most home runs in the SEC this season. Fifty five. Only Florida and South Carolina have hit more home runs than Tennessee. It may not feel like it, but this Tennessee offense is is pretty good and can be lethal and has a ton of potential. And, and oh, by the way, that LSU offense that everybody talks about, Dylan Cruz, Tommy White, Kay Beloso, and, and rightfully so, that LSU lineup is lethal. Tennessee yeah. has hit one more home run than that LSU lineup, BTW. So uh, Tennessee's offense is a, is in a good place uh, going into April. And, and Wes – Shifting the attention to Florida, Tennessee's bats are going to have to show up. And yeah. it, it's a it's a very similar situation to last weekend against LSU. This Florida lineup is just as good as LSU's lineup. And, and it may not be – or I was going to say it may be even better than that LSU lineup from top to bottom. You know, you don't necessarily have the name recognition, although you should – had the name recognition, you know, Dylan Cruz and Tommy White, those are kind of names that people who don't even really pay attention to college baseball know. But if you know college baseball, you know that Florida has some, some flat out dudes in their lineup. And I am not exaggerating when I say Florida has the college version of Shohei Otani on their team and Jack Caglione. I mean, this guy is just absolutely unreal. He, I, I don't know how many home runs he he's up to. I meant to to check before eighteen. I think I think eighteen. Eighteen, and, and that leads the SEC. I believe I've got the stats right in front of me. If I can just get to it, yes, eighteen home runs. He he leads by three in the SEC, and I think that leads the country. I'm not entirely sure on that, but he's one of the nation's home run leaders, and he does that while pitching and being one of the best pitchers in the country as well. He he's over here hitting 18 bombs and, and hitting it like 113 miles per hour off the bat and then turning around and touching triple digits on the mound. Like he is quite literally the college version of Shohei Otani and he will pitch on Sunday or on Saturday, I guess I should say in, in game three 
Uh, he's a, a very talented young pitcher coming off Tommy John. That's why you didn't really hear a ton about him as a freshman yeah. last year. If I recall correctly, he actually came in as a pinch hitter towards the end of that series yeah. for tennis against Tennessee when Tennessee swept in Gainesville and, and smoked a double. Uh, but he was kind of on a leash last year as a true freshman because he was coming off of Tommy John. Um, but he has absolutely exploded this season. But what I'm getting to is like this lineup. I mentioned Jack Caglione. He he's kind of the he's worth the price of admission alone. But they have Wyatt Langford, who's one of the best players in the entire country, uh, could potentially win SEC Player of the Year or, or be in the running because Dylan Cruz or Paul Skeens may run away with that. Uh, although Jack Caglione may have something to say, and, and Wyatt Langford may have something to say. Wyatt Langford will be a top five, top ten pick uh, yeah. as well. You kind of got Dylan Cruz. Dylan Cruz is Dylan Cruz. But maybe in the same tier or at least snipping at his heels is Wyatt Langford. And again, you just have kind of guy after guy. Josh Rivera at shortstop. He's played a lot of baseball at Florida. Colby Halter at third base. Uh, Tyler Shellnut, who was a Juco signing for them uh, right there in Gainesville, actually, at Santa Fe Community College. He, he kind of bounces around from position uh, to from position to position. BT Ryapel at catcher, who's an absolute stud. They have a lot of bats in the lineup, and then you look at it, obviously that's going to highlight the importance of pitching, but to get back to what I said earlier about the, the the Tennessee bats needing to show up is that Florida's pitching staff, and I said this early in the podcast as well, they have as good a stuff as LSU has. Maybe not Paul Skeens bumping 100 miles an hour on every single pitch, but these guys are going to be high draft picks in the draft. Brandon Sproat. Hurston Waldrep, who is a transfer from from Southern Miss and was He's a good. Yeah. D1 baseball All-American. This pitching rotation has a ton of talent in whoever starts uh, in any given day, but their numbers haven't quite backed it up. It's very Tennessee-esque in terms of they haven't lived up to their potential just yet, but it could click for them at at any given moment, really. And And, you know, we talk about Tennessee's starting pitchers struggling these guys have struggled even more than than Tennessee starters uh given their potential and, and expectations so taking advantage of Spro and Waldrip who have over four ERAs all three of them do you, you look at their stuff and you would think for their numbers to be through the roof but then you look at them on paper and their numbers are not very good they, they have over four ERAs and and they should not be pitchers with ERAs over four Tennessee's lineup is going to have to take advantage of that a because you just want to take advantage of that in general you want to put up runs but you, you can't expect the pitching staff even if Dolander Burns and Bean pitch to their potential they're facing a lineup where it's very unlikely that they only score two three four runs I mean they're probably putting up five to seven runs and Tennessee's lineup, which kind of feels like it's hitting their sweet spot, as we just talked about, they're going to have to take advantage of some struggling starting pitching for Florida. Yeah, there's no doubt uh, uh, because th those guys. I remember, you know, last year Sproke kind of a like a kind of like a ride run guy who who gets a lot like of stool like movement with maybe a little bit better velocity. Um, th these guys have great stuff. They do, and and you got to hope that. <laughs> You know, they're going to hit their stride at some point. If you're Tennessee, you don't want it to be this weekend. You'd rather be kicked down the curve a little bit for them to get going. Um, but they're going to have to put up numbers, I think, offensively against uh, these guys to win these games. And, and I don't even know when you're mentioning some of these 
guys been like you you mentioned a lot of names so you may have mentioned them but like josh rivera is also on that team like they, they the shortstop who i think d1's got him is like the second best shortstop you know in the college in college baseball right now um is offensively like that they, they get just dude after dude after dude and, and they can they don't have quite the name recognition like with college baseball fans i think that some of these lsu guys do like you alluded to um but when you talk to scouts they know all about this bunch like i think florida I don't want to speak out of turn here. I think Florida's got more MLB guys than any other currently on currently active rosters than any program in the SEC, which you would think should be the case because Florida is loaded with players every year um, for reasons that we all know, the weather and all these other things. They got, they got a ton of players down there, and a lot of those guys end up being Gators. So so they're, there's, they're a very good team. They're not maybe quite what they should be yet, and they're still number three in the country. Let's say it again, like Tennessee is a team we're talking about that that has not quite been everything it could be yet, and it's ranked around the top ten. Um, Florida is a team that is not yet what it should be or could be, and it's ranked number three in the country. That's what kind of team we're talking about here. So I look at that Florida team kind of as like a hand grenade, and it's going to go off at some point. Um, and you just, you know, if you're Tennessee, you'd like to toss it down further in the schedule where it doesn't happen this weekend. And how does that happen? I mean, you, you got to go out there and play well if you're Tennessee. If you're Tennessee's crowd, you better be your hostile best. You know, people say bring your, you know, wear your Sunday best. I would say if you're Tennessee, wear your hostile best because you want this to be an uncomfortable weekend for Florida. You want to make those guys sweat. You want to make them kind of feel like they're in a cauldron, put some pressure on them. If you're Tennessee, score early, hit a couple of bombs, get some stuff going really try to put it on these guys before they can really get going. Because if they get going, you said it really well. They're, they're LSU good when, when they hit their stride. So um, this is a really big series for Tennessee, you know, to, to get to bounce back from a weekend like last weekend. If you can, if you're Tennessee and you can win this series, that, that does a lot because this gauntlet right here it is tough. This four week stretch, we all know that. And if you're Tennessee on the front end before that started, you have that first weekend against Mizzou that you're still going to have to kind of dig out of a hole from. So you got work to do to kind of position yourself where you want to be. Um, and you, you got to go to Arkansas. You know, you got to host Vandy. This is a, this right now, this series is a winnable series for Tennessee as tough as, the, as these matchups are. This is a winnable series for Tennessee. If Tennessee does its job and you'd like to think that Tennessee has a chance to do that. Um, because that would do a lot to build the confidence going forward because you don't kind of want to start stacking series losses on top of each other, especially you don't want to lose a series at home. That This bunch hadn't done that in a while in, in SEC play. So um, th- this is a tough matchup for Tennessee, but guess what? It's also a tough matchup for Florida. And if you're Florida, you know, Ben, you know you're facing a Tennessee team that kind of wasn't at its best but still had a chance to win a series at LSU last week. And they're you're thinking, man, these guys are going to be pretty pissed off. These guys are going to be pretty focused. They're going to be they're going to have their home crowd behind them. This isn't a place where we usually play very well either. So, you know, this is a tough weekend for Tennessee. It's also a really tough weekend for Florida. And Tennessee's got to make that happen. Yeah, for for sure. Tennessee can definitely win this weekend. And and that's the expectation. We we talked about that off the the top. And uh, I I think LSU and and Florida are, are kind of neck and neck for best teams in the SEC. Maybe I need to throw South Carolina into that conversation. Yeah. Playing well, man. They, they are playing really well. And, and talk about matchups this weekend. LSU travels to South Carolina uh, th- this weekend, and, and yeah. that will be 
really fun. And, and look, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, they'd take they'd take issue with, with me saying what I was saying as well. The, the, the SEC is just so loaded uh, with, with teams at, at the top. But speak, I, I was bringing up that point to, to make my next point of, of kind of comparing LSU and, and Florida. They're in the same breath as, as me as best teams in the SEC and, and best teams in the country. And I'm just talking about looking on paper, which that, that's not what it's all about. Um, and just kind of looking from the outside in that there are kind of areas where you raise your eyebrow on paper with Florida, whereas with LSU, you, you didn't really have that. You, you kind of wondered just how good their bullpen is, whereas with Florida, they, their, their bullpen has big time question marks. They, they have yeah. some some very, very talented arms down there. But no, nobody that's really proven. Uh, Brandon Neely, who has served as their closer, and, and and I don't even know if Florida refers to him as their closer. I just know that he has six saves on the the year, which makes it seem like he is their closer. He's been really good for them out of the bullpen. But outside of that, they they've got some talented arms and and guys who have pitched the majority of their innings with ERAs in the fives and the fours, like their, their bullpen is a big time question mark. And, and if you've watched any of Florida this year, their bullpen has gotten them in trouble at times, but then also they're not good defensively whatsoever. They are 13th in fielding percentage, which is 13 out of 14 in the sec, by the way. And they've, they've committed the second most errors in the sec. So their their lineup can rake. They're first in hits. They're first in slugging percentage, first in triples, second in home runs, second in batting average, second in runs scored. They they do a lot of great things at the plate. Although something else to keep an eye on this weekend, they strike out a lot. Eighth most strikeouts, and we obviously know that Tennessee's pitching has the stuff to where that could come into play. And they don't walk. They're eleventh in walks, eleventh out of fourteen in, in walks. Uh, so if Tennessee's pitching staff has it on, then then that could be a, a big time struggle for Florida. And then we talked about the, the pitching staff as a whole, kind of their top guys. They're first in strikeouts, but that's about it, which tells you that they have great stuff. They lead the SEC with Tennessee, LSU, all these teams with great pitching. They lead the SEC in strikeouts, but then they have the eighth highest ERA in the league. They've hit the third most batters. They've allowed the sixth most home runs. They have the sixth most wild pitches. They've allowed the seventh most hits. They've allowed the seventh most earned runs. And their opponent batting average is the eighth highest in the SEC. So, like, you know they have the potential to be really good and have this elite stuff. They have stuff that's going to get them drafted. But right now it's it's not maybe clicking the way that it should. So Tennessee, is is its offense is – Going to have to take advantage of that. And really, it just boils down to the offense. Just don't strike out a ton. They have the stuff to do that. But if you can avoid just striking out left and right and putting the ball in play, as simple as that sounds, and testing a defense that has not been good this year, that bodes well. Because you still have good pitchers on your side going up against an offense that doesn't walk a lot and, and strikes out a good bit, which, which also bodes well for Camden Sewell and Andrew Lindsay and, and Seth Halverson. And not to say that it's going to play out that way, because again, it's going to be a tall task going up against this Florida lineup, but with it being at home with them being shaky defensively with the bullpen being shaky, I, I think there's a lot of, lot of areas in which Tennessee can take advantage of this weekend and, and walk out with a series win. 
Yeah, I think I misspoke a little bit earlier. I was talking about uh, Sprota as the ride run guy. That's actually Neely, who's kind of the, the ride run guy. And he, he actually, uh, was it last season? He absolutely shoved it against Tennessee. I think it was like it was a Gilbert triple or something like in the seventh inning that took away his no hit bid against Tennessee against that ridiculous Tennessee lineup. So, um, yeah, he's a guy who's going to be a weapon out of the bullpen. And if Florida's in a spot where one of its starters doesn't kind of have the game that they want to have him to have, uh, they can go to Neely and that guy's going to, that, that guy's a security blanket. He can get some outs and he can do some of that Sewell like stuff for, for Tennessee. So that's interesting. Uh, there's a lot of interesting things about this matchup. Florida is a team that, is not what it should be, and it's still really good. So, yeah, th- this is a game where you you want to – you don't want Florida to find those answers this weekend. You know, you you want Florida to find those answers later in the season. And, and, and it's a big weekend for Tennessee. But it's also, as I said, Ben, it's a winnable series. If Tennessee goes out there, th- this Tennessee team's not going to be intimidated by anything, obviously, especially playing in Knoxville. So, um, it should be, it should be a fun weekend, man. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a fun series. Now, the weather maybe not as great as it is today as we're recording this. Uh, I think the the final couple of days of the weekend may, may not have the, the best weather, um, but, uh, but that's all right. Tennessee can, can deal with that stuff too. They got turf, they can make it work. So uh, we'll see. It's going to be, it's going to be a really, really, really fun weekend. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It will. Tennessee simply can't beat itself and needs its pitchers to, to, to be better. Uh, and for the offense to continue to project in, in the direction that they're going, and they'll be perfectly fine. They will not play in a series, play a team this season in, in which they can't win because they they are capable of being as as good as anybody in the country, which is why it's so frustrating when they commit the, the mistakes that they do both yep. mentally and physically. But it, it will be a fun series, number three, Florida, versus number 10, Tennessee, or I guess number 11, I guess they dropped down a spot in, in D1, whatever. It's a, it's a top 10 matchup uh, pretty much, and, and we'll have coverage for you all weekend long at GoBalls247.com. Game one on Thursday night, 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPNU. Game two on Friday night on the SEC Network at 7 p.m. Eastern. And then game three on Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2 as well. All three games this weekend on television, ESPNU, SEC Network, ESPN2. So that'll be good, good for Tennessee to get some exposure. Not that they need more of it, but hey, yeah. it, it never hurts. And hey, you get Easter off this year as as well. So I know Wes and I will enjoy that as much as the players and coaches. Yes. Wes, appreciate you, my friend. Anytime, man, you know that. This has been another edition of the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com. We hope you all enjoy your weekend. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 